All right, we're gonna do something a little different today. <clears throat> is that pretty obvious? Um, instead of just a formal sermon, this is what we're gonna do today. Um, I wanna invite you all as a church into what I'm gonna call <clears throat> a strategic conversation, okay? And I want us to just imagine that we are trying to figure out we're in a strategy session and we're trying to figure out what we're supposed to do as a church right now in the world that we're living in, okay? Can you get your head wrapped around that for a minute? So let me just read to you the opening to this book, The Great Dechurching. okay? Here's the opening paragraph. In the United States, we are currently experiencing the largest and fastest religious shift in the history of our country. As tens of millions of formerly regular Christian worshipers nationwide have decided they no longer desire to attend church at all. These are what we now call the de-churched. About 40 million adults in America today used to go to church but no longer do, which accounts for around 16% of our adult population. For the first time in the eight decades that Gallup has tracked American religious membership, more adults in the United States do not attend church than attend church. This is not a gradual shift, it's a jolting one, okay? So that's where we are. Now, this is not the first time we've had to face this as Americans. This may be a little surprising to you, but if you go all the way back to the founding of our country in colonial America, do you know that in colonial America, only 17% of Americans went to church? Did y'all know that? So the overwhelming majority of Americans did not go to church when our church was founded. In fact, the greatest increase in church attendance in the history of the United States, you know what period it was? It was the 20 years after the Civil War. Church attendance increased more during that period than any other time in American history. And then the Christian century was the 20th century in America. There is no question about that. That's the greatest period of church growth. That's when so many um, Christian schools were established, ministries, and America was just uh, overwhelmed by the Christian movement in the 20th century. That's not where we are right now. We're in the 21st century, and here's what I wanna share with y'all today. The reason I wanna do this is because this morning, we just dedicated these babies. Do you feel obligated to make sure that they have a church to go to when they're adults? Don't you? You know, I grew up in a great church, y'all. I grew up in Wylam Baptist Church in Birmingham, Alabama. I think we have a picture of it. Um, what an awesome church. That church, I was saved in that church. I was baptized in that church. I went to RAs. I went to training union. I went to youth group. Um, I was married in that church. I was ordained to the ministry in that church. I preached my first sermon in that church. It was terrible, uh, I'll have to admit it was. It was so bad, my preacher preached another sermon when I finished because mine was so bad. That's the honest truth. Um, that church means a lot to me. And what's interesting is that church, there are so many of us from that church. We ran about 500 in our heyday, something like that, 400. But it was a great church and there are a bunch of us from that church that are out in ministry. Uh, pastors and missionaries and seminary teachers and music ministers. There are several families who have children and grandchildren who are in ministry today from that church, okay? I have right here, when I was dedicated in that church, my mom's Sunday school classes, the way did, they did that, came by the house and with my mom and my dad dedicated me to the Lord. And they gave me a Bible and I've got it right here. Um, it was, uh, I was nine days old. I got this Bible September the 12th. The day I got my Bible was a Saturday. Bonanza had their first episode on television. So it was a monumental day in American history. 
let me show you another photo of my church from June of 2018. Um, <clears throat> that's the mayor of Birmingham in the foreground. He delivered a speech and he said, finally, after several years, we are celebrating the fact that we can tear down this eyesore in this community. My church no longer exists. So my grandkids, I could not take my grandkids to my home church because it's no longer there. In other words, there are no guarantees, if you will. So that's why I want you and I have a strategic conversation. Am I worried about our church in particular not being here 20 years from now? That's really not the point. I'm concerned about the church in America. I'm concerned about what I see happening. And we're going to have to uh, continue to address these concerns. We've gotta be partnered with the right partners. We've gotta be partnered together. We've gotta be partnered with the Lord if we're going to, to live fully into where the Lord wants us to be. So this morning, I want us to talk a little bit about that, about being in partnership with others as we think about our strategy. Look with me at Philippians 1 if you have your copy of the New Testament. I'm entitled the message today, In Partnership with Others. In Philippians 1, Paul's in Rome in, in jail. He's under house arrest. And he writes this letter to the church at Philippi. And he says this in chapter 1, verse 3. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. The word partnership is the Greek word for fellowship. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Now, speaking of partnerships, if you'll go to the end of that letter, chapter 4, verse 15, Paul says, Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts, but what I desire is more to be more be credited to your account. I've received full payment and have more than enough. I'm amply supplied now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They're a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, and pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To God be the glory forever and ever. Amen, Paul says. So Paul thanks the church at Philippi for being a partner with him in the gospel. Well, I'm gonna to talk to you a little bit about that this morning, about our church. I want you to think about First Baptist Arlington and the partnerships that we have and how we're trying to maintain our vitality and our health. So let's just say, here's our church, okay? And our church is located on planet Earth, okay? So here's planet Earth, sorry. All of you continental people, you can do better than that. So. Who does our church partner with to address this? Think about the world. What do you know about the world? Well, the world has eight billion people on it, okay? Something like that. The world has, uh, let me see, a hundred, let's see. Um, <clears throat> we have multiple, multiple unreached people groups. We have about 17,500 people groups in the world, okay? That means people that have the same language, they don't have barriers to the gospel growing. They have certain ethnicities that they share with each other. They have cultural assimilation. In other words, uh, they, they have so much in common, you could plant a church in one of those people groups and it wouldn't face any natural barriers to grow. However, about 7,400 of those people groups are unreached. They're called UPGs, unreached people groups. That means there's no gospel witness 
in any of them. That means that tomorrow morning, the people who live in this part of the world will not hear about Jesus. Some of them will not hear about Jesus their entire lives. There's about 3.4 billion of them, okay? <clears throat> Do you feel any responsibility to them? Or should somebody else just take care of that? You feel any, surely you feel responsibility, true? So what are we doing about that? Well, let me tell you what we're doing. We've got some partnerships. So for example, we're partnered with the Tarrant Baptist Association, okay? Our partnerships, what does that mean? What does that mean? It means to be in fellowship with and to work together in sharing the gospel. That's what a partnership is. So who are we working with? Who are we partnered with? Who are we fellowshipping with in order to share the gospel? Well, the Tarrant Baptist Association is one. River Bend, we support River Bend. Many of you know that. We support the BGCT. Um, we are still a part of the Southern Baptist Convention. Um, our primary partner is Texas Baptists. When you give a dollar to First Baptist Arlington, um, a portion of that, a percentage of that, we send to Texas Baptists. And through Texas Baptists, we support our mission work across our state. A tiny portion of it goes to the Southern Baptist Convention but it goes designated to support the International Mission Board, Southwestern Seminary, um, and so we do still partner with them. We also are now partnering with a brand new movement called Ascent. You're going to be hearing more about Ascent. It's a mission movement that's uh, addressing the lostness of North America. I'm the chairman of the steering council for Ascent. I'm about to fly next, uh, here in a couple weeks to Toronto, Canada to meet with our leaders as we're trying to begin a new ministry to reach the, to reach the, the folks in North America. It's a challenging, challenging um, situation we find ourselves in. We also are partnered with Restore Hope, okay? Restore Hope is the ministry that we use to send all of our workers through. So we now have, as a church, we have three global centers, okay? And in those global centers, one of them is in West Africa, and two of them are in Europe, okay? <clears throat> and these are where our people live and work. We just prayed over Lily to go live for a year in one of these European global centers, right? So what's happening through those global centers? There's a whole lot happening through those global centers. Can I just tell you about one of them? Just one of them. Let me tell you about West Africa. In West Africa, right now, we are supporting two church planting movements. One of them directly, Pastor Emmanuel. One of them indirectly, Abdul, one of our orphans. Those two leaders, they both work with Gabe and Seda. And you know what's happening in West Africa right now? They're working among some of these unreached people. They're up country. And they're taking the gospel. They're showing the Jesus film. They're planting churches. Let me give you a quick report. From January to October, I mean, I'm sorry, January to September of this year, in these two church planting movements, we've had 3,829 salvations. How about that? Praise God. In other words, we are addressing the lostness, at least in one part of the world. There's more I can say about these two European global centers. I don't have time this morning to do all that. I'm just letting you know that what you're doing is actually affecting some of this right here. We are reducing this number as we plant churches among these folks. Not only that, in West Africa this past year, we had a famine in another country, not where our global center is, but where we used to work. And do you know that for about six months, you gave a grant to them and you kept 800 families alive every day for six months until their crops came in. So not only are we sharing the gospel, 
um, through planting churches, we're trying to do some things that are just tangible to make sure that people's needs are met. So what I want to say to y'all is, we're on a huge planet, the needs are incredible, we can't do everything, but we're trying to partner with people that we believe in to do our part in fulfilling the Great Commission. Can we just say praise God for that? And uh, I'm grateful. Now, however, let me just tell you this, we, we have a, a context though as, as a church. You know, we, we don't just live on planet Earth, right? Um, we actually have a geographical location. We have an address, right? And so where are we located? What's, what's our, um, what would you say, what's our immediate context, if you will? Well, Arlington, right? So Arlington. <clears throat> this is a cloud because we're the dream city, right? So here's our dreamers. Okay, we're the dream city. So what about Arlington? What do we know about Arlington? Well, we are home to the Texas Rangers. Awesome. The American League division champs. Is it appropriate to boo the Astros in a sanctuary? It's not. Katie says it's not, okay. Would y'all just join me in a silent boo real quick? Okay, great, awesome. All right, so let's think about Arlington. What do we know about Arlington? Well, how well do you know this city? Well, this city has 400,000 people in it, okay? And what's fascinating about this city, it's 140,000 households, roughly, in Arlington, okay? Do you know that 60% of our community is, um, sorry, is between the ages of 18 and 30? 60%, it's actually 59 point something. Here's the problem with that, y'all. <clears throat> From our perspective in terms of strategy, okay? If you go back and look at the de-churched statistics, this right here is the highest risk group in de-churched America. Right now, if you're in college, a college kid, okay? College students, right now, 27% of them have no faith affiliation at all. If you're a young adult and you fit in the college category, but you are not in college, 37% of them have no religious affiliation. Now, those young adults that have no religious affiliation, guess what they turn into? They turn into unchurched adults. So do y'all see the trend that we're facing right now? We are dealing with an incredible challenge. Now let me just say this to you. When you study the statistics about what's happening in America, the de-churched people, they are divided into numerous categories, okay? For example, we know that there are de-churched Roman Catholics. There are de-churched mainline Protestants. Uh, there are de-churched Charismatics. There are de-churched people of color. Etc. Cetera, et cetera. There are numerous categories. One of the categories that they're studying, though, are what they call mainline evangelicals. Okay? And what I would tell y'all is that's who we are. Now you may say, no, wait a minute, preacher, I'm not evangelical because I don't like evangelicals right now. They're they're politically involved. And I'm not talking about political. Affiliation. I'm talking about just people who believe in the Bible, believe Jesus is the only way to heaven, believe in the church. Y'all know what I mean? People like us. When you look at them in America, there's about 2.2 million of them. Okay? 
Now, when you look at Arlington, Texas, 78% of Arlington, Texas is connected somehow, or 70% rather, is connected somehow to mainline evangelicalism. In other words, most of Arlington is connected somehow to the evangelical movement. Some a little to the left, some a little to the right. But we have a huge number of unchurched people in our community. According to the latest research, we have about 120,000 people in Arlington who are not affiliated with any church. Many of them fit into this category though. Even though they may not be de-churched, they may be unchurched, they have some affinity for people like us. And you know what the research shows us? You know what the number one reason, the number one reason mainline evangelical, people like you, the number one reason in America why they quit going to church, you know what it is? Number one, hands down. What do you think it is? Bad preaching? No, that is not the answer. Too much music. I'm just teasing here. I'm just, you're, you're just an easy, you're an easy target. You're sitting right there. No. Number one reason, number one reason, they move to a new house and quit going to church. Now, come on, y'all. Guess what? When these people have been interviewed, 100% of them say they would go back to church if they found the right one and were invited by the right people. So, let me just put y'all on duty right now as scouts for your neighborhood. Has anybody in the last year moved into a house anywhere near you? There's a high likelihood they belong to this group and they're just waiting for someone to greet them and meet them and welcome them to the community and maybe invite them to church. And what the research shows is 100% of them say they'd be willing to go back. Now, if you start dealing with people who've been hurt by the church, who've got brokenness because of the church, they're much more difficult to reach. Does that make sense? But just the general mainline evangelical, the number one reason why they quit going to church is because they've just moved to a new location. So what I would say to y'all is, I would call that low-hanging fruit. <laughs> Wouldn't you? Surely, if we don't know how to do anything else, surely churches like ours can address people like this, okay? Now, let's go one step further. <clears throat> We're still in the dream city, okay? And are y'all still with me? Yeah. All right, so we're still in the dream city, okay? Let's talk about our church in particular, okay? You think about here we are in Arlington. Okay, here's First Baptist Arlington. Um, think about who are our closest ministry partners, First Baptist Arlington, here in the city of Arlington, and what we're choosing to do with our money, with our fellowship, with our people. Who, who are we most closely connected to? Well, let's just start. Mission Arlington, true? Mission Arlington, our church started, and you know right now, we're gathered here on this campus for Sunday morning worship. We have 354 apartment churches that are meeting today all across Arlington that are all ours. Okay, awesome, true? Praise God. Many of those folks would not come here. The reason we know that is because they haven't. <laughs> okay? So we're trying to take the church to them. This church has been doing that since 1986. We're also partnered with the Christian Women's Job Corps. We're trying to offer vulnerable women a hand up to find a path forward. For many years now, we have been partnered with a ministry we call International Friends. 
That ministry is assisting internationals in our community to help find their way here in, uh, in the city of Arlington. We have a child development center. Child Development Center every day has about 120 kids in it. So think about all those families. My granddaughter is there. The other day, I took my granddaughter to, to school, as she would call it. I was going out in the parking lot, and there were a group of women standing in the parking lot, a group of moms. I didn't recognize any of them. They didn't recognize me. So I just walked up to them. I said, how are y'all today? They said, we're fine. And I said, I just want to tell you, I'm the pastor of this church. And they said, oh, we're happy to meet you. And then they started telling me, well, we have a son. I have two kids in the, in the Child of Almost Center. Thank you for that ministry. You know, it's something that we're able to, to live our life because your church is providing this. I'd never met these people in my life. And so um, that ministry is ongoing every single day. We have our counseling center, the Center for Integrative uh, Counseling and Psychology. And we have, I don't even know how many counselors. How many do we have, Katie? We have six counselors on staff in the Wade building every day connected to 35 counselors across their network that you all have access to because you're a member of First Baptist Arlington. And they're all licensed professional therapists. We have Living Hope, which is a ministry that, that is designed to assist people who are sexually broken. And what I want y'all to know about that ministry, every single person that comes to Living Hope is an adult who comes on their own initiative. We don't recruit, we don't advertise, we don't go out and seek people. Every person that comes to Living Hope finds us themselves. And right now, there are, you may not believe this, but believe it or not, there are thousands of them who are in an online ministry that we call Living Hope in over 150 countries. Because people are struggling. Um, obviously, I mentioned Restore Hope. <clears throat> we also are obviously supporting that network. Um, Engage Arlington, I mentioned that. <clears throat> That's this group of pastors and churches in this community trying to engage the gospel and share the good news of Jesus with our city. The BSM at UTA is one of our primary partners. We believe that this campus adjacent to us is filled with people who need to know Jesus, okay? And so we partner very strongly and directly with the Baptist Student Ministry at UTA. Now, with all that said, y'all, let me talk to you a little bit about the challenges that we're facing, okay? Because all that is awesome, and I'm grateful for it, aren't you? Can we say amen for all these partnerships, what God's doing in the life of our church? And so we can feel really good until we get to this. <clears throat> this mission field that we're in right now is very complex. Y'all know that, don't you? What surrounds us? Well, let's talk about it. COVID. What has COVID done to us? We could just talk from now on about that, couldn't we? What, what's it done to us? Y'all know that there are sociologists beginning right now crafting collegiate courses just to study what's happened to us. Uh, we don't really even know yet. We've got political divisions. Have y'all noticed that? <laughs> Sometimes I get pressured from people wanting me to be more political in this pulpit. What well, y'all need to know? I ain't gonna do it. Okay. Um, thank you. Um, guess what else we have? We have global unrest. Are you concerned about what's happening in the world right now? I mean, there's a book somewhere that starts off with this line. Everything that was nailed down is coming loose. Is that how it feels to you right now? And it feels completely out of our control, doesn't it? You know, 
we had a couple of men here a few weeks ago from the Ukraine. Y'all remember them? Two Baptist leaders. We've heard from them. They're home. One of them, their family's in a bomb shelter. We have disagreements about what should be happening in the Ukraine politically. I get that. But these are our Baptist brothers and sisters who don't, who don't know anything about all that. They're just trying to minister the gospel there. And we're doing our best to bless them and support them. Notwithstanding what's happening in the Middle East right now. There's so much unrest. We've got some massive issues facing us right now. Things like anthropology. Barry told us the other day that he was filling out a form for something he was working on. When it said gender, he hit the drop down on the computer. He had 14 options. Who would have predicted that in 2023, we'd be involved in an anthropological discussion like we are today? But it's incredibly common. We have questions about the sanctity of life now, and I'm not talking about just abortion. I'm talking about just what, what is, sorry, sanctity of life, what, what does it mean to be human? We have an incredible loss of transcendence right now where many human beings believe you can get everything you need just by being a human. You don't, you don't need any interaction with anything divine. So what is all that produced and what's underneath it? Well, there's a lot underneath it that we're facing right now. Pluralism. Have y'all noticed how pluralistic our culture is today? Secularism. Um, cynicism. Have y'all noticed that? How people just don't believe anything anymore? Moralism. Just do what feels good to you. You know? Humanism. <clears throat> Relativism. How many isms do I need to put up here, y'all? I feel like I'm in the Old Testament. I'm listening to all the ites. I just know there are a lot of isms. And I know they're real. Friday night, my house, I had the grad and career group from our church. These young adults in my church. Cindy and I had them in our home. And we started talking to them. This is their world. This is where they're living. It's challenging. Let me remind y'all. In this milieu, just remind you, 40 million American adults have left the church. Do y'all know that number is greater? If you were to put all the people who were saved in America in the first great awakening, all the people who were saved in America in the second great awakening, and all the people who were saved under Billy Graham's ministry, add all of them together and it doesn't equal that many people. We have lost more people from our churches, adults, in the last 25 years than those three incredible movements combined gained people in the church. Are y'all still with me? In other words, y'all, we have a challenging situation. Okay, now, here's the strategic discussion. I'm gonna do it really quickly. What are we gonna do about it? I think we should just keep doing what we're doing. Don't y'all? Just keep doing what we're doing because it's obviously working. Right? In our churches, you've got to stand in line to get in church in America, right? It's, uh, what are we going to do? Should we do anything? Should you even care? Y'all do care, right? You care about these babies 
And it's not just these babies. I'm not necessarily worried about these babies. I'm worried about all their contemporaries who weren't here this morning and aren't in any church this morning and won't be dedicated to the Lord this morning or any morning because that's the real world where they're going to live and grow up. Well, here's what we historically have done. Let me just describe it to you really quickly. This is kind of our historic model of discipleship. Okay? This is how we've tried to do it, and it's worked to some degree. So you've got this um, couple here, if you will, not necessarily married, but nevertheless. What we, and here's our goal. Um, we want them to one day be holy. So I'm gonna put a halo over them. Okay, all right, so we meet them here. We want them to be like that. John Rittner talks about this in his book. Um, and um, so here's what we do. Typically, we invite them to worship. We then get them plugged into community. And then we connect them to mission. And that's how it goes. It flows that way. Does that make sense? Invite them in, get them plugged in, and they get engaged in mission. Okay? Here's what the research is showing us. Many people, not the mainline evangelicals I talked about, the majority of Americans right now don't necessarily respond to an invitation to worship. The attractional model doesn't seem to be working. So John Rittner, he's written this book called Positively Irritating. This book right here. This has become an, one of my favorite books. Uh, and I found it to be irritating, by the way. He uses the imagery, though, of a grain of sand finding its way into the shell of an oyster. And what happens to that grain of sand? It can become a pearl, right? Okay. So church leaders are looking at this, y'all. A lot of us are. And we're trying to figure out what should we do? Do you know what some pastors are suggesting? That we reverse this. That's what John Rittner suggests in his book. What if we start with the people of God down here who are already holy and just put them on mission and get them to invite people in the community and then once they find their way in the community, then invite them to worship? Does that make sense? Um, Tuesday in New York City, it was the Feast of Corpus Christi. Y'all probably don't keep up with that, but it's a very famous Roman Catholic priest. You know, one of the things that they do is they engage in what's called the Eucharistic procession. In other words, they take the host, once it's been prayed over, once the service is over, and they walk outside and they parade what Roman Catholics would believe is the actual body of Christ in the street. Do you know, in New York City, they had a very famous preacher there Tuesday, Father Mike Schmitz. He is a youth minister in the Roman Catholic Church and he has the largest religious podcast in the world. He's doing a daily Bible reading for Roman Catholics. Have y'all heard of him? He's pretty incredible. He preached at St. Patrick's Cathedral. He and several other priests then led the Eucharistic procession. Over a thousand of them marched out of St. Patrick's Cathedral and just marched through the streets of New York City in silence. Google it and read about it. You know what happened? There were people in New York City who stopped everything they were doing. Many of them just kneeled on the ground because they weren't even sure what was going on. But they saw all these Catholics, priests, and nuns, and then just parishioners. Um, Martha McCollum, she's a journalist. She was there. 
So he said, I'm sitting in the sanctuary. It's powerful, awesome. And then it came time to go out to the street. And I thought to myself, I don't really want to do this. She said, it's one thing to be a Catholic in church. It's another thing to be a Catholic on the street. Isn't that interesting? Y'all, we got to hit the street. Let me show you this quote from John Rittner. Imagine if the local church simply began training its members to live as resident missionaries and make disciples in the places where they're already doing life. Imagine small bands of disciples living the missional, incarnational life of Jesus in the mission fields of their own neighborhoods, workplaces, and social spaces, such as cafes, gyms, art studios, and parks. Where you are now, wherever you spend the majority of your time, that's your mission field. So here's you. You're already here. I want to ask you to entertain the idea that maybe what we need to do is begin experimenting with this. I'm not saying we throw everything out. That's not my point. But would y'all agree we need to start experimenting somewhere to see if we can't reach the people in our neighborhoods and our communities? Now, here's the good news. And I'm sorry that we're going just a tad long today. So, But here's the good news. Let me, let me see if I can give it to you. Here's what I believe about the church. So let's, let's make sure we get this. The church is empowered and equipped for every era. I'm talking about the church with the big C. You know, remember what Jesus said in Matthew 16? I'm going to establish my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Matthew 28, Jesus says, take me, take me, make disciples all over the world, all the nations, Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them everything I commanded you, and I will always be with you. In Luke chapter 24, Jesus said, Stay in Jerusalem till you're clothed with power on high. In Acts 1 and 2, the Spirit of God came and empowered the church and gifted the church. And so, y'all, we have what we need. True? We do. We have what we need, and we're on the winning team. We are. But the problem is, we're in a practical situation that is overwhelming, and we are losing people in America. And the churches are going to have to do something about it. We are. How do you view church growth? Well, Tim Keller says you ought to view it like a garden. I kind of like that. And here's, here's kind of the image, if you will. We are the gardeners, in a sense. Okay? Gardeners, however that is. We have good seed, we have soil, and we have weather. Okay, y'all ever, ever gardened? Okay, you need all that, right? The seed is the gospel. Will we all agree it's good? Right? It is really good, okay? The soil, it depends, and the weather is beyond our control, but we have to develop our skills as gardeners. So here's what I envision for church growth. We're in a partnership with God, Okay? That's what's interesting about trying to grow churches. It's not just something you do X, Y, and Z and then the church automatically grows. That's not how it works. We're in a partnership with God. There's more theology than just what you and I do. It's not transactional. It's deeper than that. However, if we don't do, if we don't do our job, I can promise you we're not gonna grow because if all the seed is in the barn, it will not grow. But we've gotta trust in soil and weather. We've gotta partner with God. So I wanna invite y'all into this dilemma, and I want to ask y'all, are we willing to develop 
our skills and get better as gardeners and trust the seed and depend on God for the rest? Are we, re are we really willing to do that? To just get better at what we're supposed to be doing? To question what we are doing? To evaluate why we're doing what we're doing? And address it as the people of God? Are we willing to do that? Let me tell you, next year, I'm gonna challenge you. You know what next year is gonna be about? Together. And here's what I wanna invite you to this morning. I wanna invite you to this journey right here together. Okay, together. Ephesians 4, why don't you spend a little time in the book of Ephesians. That's where we're gonna spend our time next year. You know what the Bible says in Ephesians 4? The Bible says God has prepared the church for all of this. Christ has appointed people in the churches. You know who they are? You know who Christ has appointed in our churches? Well, the Bible spells it out pretty clearly. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. That's what Paul says. Now, some people struggle with that a little bit. They're, they're cessationists. They don't think they're any more apostles. Paul's not talking about just the apostles who walked with Jesus. He's talking about the people that have this apostolic calling that constantly push the church forward. So here's what we're gonna have to do as a church, y'all. And we're gonna attempt this and we're gonna focus on this in 2024. We're gonna try to determine who all these people are and we're gonna set them loose. Now, if you imagine a circle like this, are y'all still with me? We're almost done. We may not even sing again, Aaron. I may just dismiss everybody, okay? Here's the thing. You got prophets up here. They try to keep you in connect, connected to the heart of God. You got evangelists right here. They're bringing people in the church. You got teachers down here. They're keeping you grounded in the word of God. You got apostles over here always pushing you forward. Guess who's in the middle? The shepherds. The shepherds are the ones that hold us all together. I have strong gifts. God has gifted me with an apostolic calling but I have a strong teaching gift and the heart of a shepherd. So I'm right in the center of this church as your shepherd. And what we're going to do is, here's the challenge, many churches are led by shepherds and teachers and they don't let the apostles and the evangelists and the prophets do anything. They're called the apes, by the way. <laughs> so 2024, we're gonna be praying and asking God to help us figure out how to do this together and address this milieu that we're in. Are y'all Are y'all in? Here's what I'm gonna ask you to do this morning. And this is going to be our invitation benediction. Pray. I'm gonna ask you as a church family to pray. I want you to pray for yourself. What is God saying to you? And I'm not talking about this, doing this overnight. This is gonna take a little while, okay? We didn't get here overnight. I want you to pray. Pray for yourself. What's God asking you to do? What role are you going to play? I want you to pray for me. Okay, as your pastor, I want you to pray for our staff. We're going on staff retreat in November and we're going to address these very things as a staff, okay? So would you pray for us? Pray for the leaders of the church. I want you to pray and ask God, Lord, show us what you want us to do. And then I want you to pray that we'll have the courage to put our yes on the altar. Can we do that? So I want you to pray for yourself. I want you to pray for me. I want you to pray for this staff. I want you to pray for this church. And I want you to pray for God to reveal himself to us and for us to have the courage to say yes. Can you say amen if you're with us? Let's do it, y'all. What a great time to be alive. 
You know, I'm like the old guy, the shoe salesman that went to that place, two shoe salesmen at that place, nobody had shoes. And one of the guys said, hey, come get me. Nobody here wears shoes. The other guy said, send me all the shoes you have. Nobody has shoes. That's me. I believe this is an incredible opportunity to be the church and to show our world who the church really is. Let's do it, y'all. Let's do it for the glory of God. May it be so. I'm gonna pray over us. Instead of our normal invitation, that was your invitation. I know y'all need to get to Sunday school. So teachers, I'm sorry we went a little long today. But thank you for listening. Thank you for being a part of this strategic conversation. And y'all know this is not the entire conversation, right? Y'all know we're just getting started. We're gonna have a lot of conversations and I wanna invite you to them, okay? So let me pray for us and we'll go. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for this church. And Lord, we, this church has been through so many things, so many eras, so many challenges. My goodness, world wars, famines, epidemics, pandemics, and yet somehow here we are, all these years later, still trying to find our way on the Jesus way. So God, may you guide us, lead us, speak to us, and use us for your glory. And we pray on behalf of the lost people, the unchurched people, and the de-churched people in our community. May we find our way to them, and may they find their way to you. May it be so in Jesus' name. Amen.